Hello there, this is Olivia from Ozone Podcast. This is Nadia from the Relativity Podcast, and you're listening to Discussing Who. Enjoy! The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to start this episode by welcoming back Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I'm grand. Really, just just grand. I had, well, to, had to be away from my home and family for well, my, my family in North Carolina for a month and a half, and I'm back, man, and glad to be back in the routine with Discussing Who. Well, glad to have you back in the routine, and I just want to give a great shout out to your lovely wife, Karen, who was so gracious when I recently saw her, and she's always gracious, but she was exceptionally gracious, so I want to send it out on the airwaves, a big shout out to Karen for just being, as the doctor would say, absolutely fantastic. So, so (laughs) there you go. I also want to welcome back Clarence Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you, my friend? I am great and also excited to talk about Naked Ice Warrior. Let's do it. Indeed. So that just tells me that if anyone listening, we are glad that you're here, by the way, because you did not have to be here. But since you are here, if you have not seen Cold War, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because... From this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky, too. (laughs) Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review Cold War. This is the eighth episode of the 2012-2013 series of Doctor Who first airing on the 13th of April, 2013. It starred Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor and Jenna Coleman as Clara Oswald. So, summary view. Lee Shackelford, I'll start with you. Summary view. What say you? It's been a while since I've seen this one, and um, so I was pleasantly surprised by it. I was just, uh, you know, glad to to dig into it and, you know, sort of at every turn to go, oh, yeah, this is the one where that happens. Oh, that, that's great. And I remembered that there was a guest star that I had been looking forward to, and I couldn't remember who it was. Oh, it's the fabulous David Warner, of course. So, yeah, I had a great time. How about you, old? Wow, I thought you were going to say the uh, guest star was going to be Liam Cunningham, which I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. For me, I enjoyed this episode. I love the way it was shot. Uh, kudos to the director, in this one because I thought it just shot beautifully very much enjoyed it I have a few issues with as I always do with the TARDIS just vanishing but we'll get into the details what about you Cal so for me you know it's funny that we're all talking about an actor and, and you guys have mentioned one person you've mentioned one person and now I'm mentioning another which is Tobias Menzies and I think I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly because every time I'm watching it I'm thinking, oh, look, this is a tale of two Phillips. So that's what I thought throughout the whole thing. One of the other Russian submariners is the one who uh, who's playing, who played Charles in The Crown. Yeah. So it's two Phillips and a Charles. <laughs> it's two Phillips and a Charles. That's a good one. But that was cool. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. 
I don't watch it often. And this may, if not the second time, this may be only be the third time I've seen it. It's not something I watch often, but I wasn't bored. So that's a good thing. So let's talk about the Ice Warriors. And Clarence, I want to ask you, what were your initial thoughts of seeing this general, this Ice Warrior? Any thoughts? So I was trying to think back or I guess forward to when we see him again. Uh, <laughs> I do like some of the grand, uh, the grandness they they built around who this particular ice warrior is. Uh, it made me wonder, I guess they may have talked about it a little bit in an episode, but did we see this particular ice warrior before in a classic episode? And, and maybe you guys can help me out on that if, if that actually happened. I don't know. I enjoyed them. I think they had a, a few good twists on there for this one in particular with us actually seeing the ice warrior leave his, his, his suit. So naked ice warrior uh, roaming about the ship. I thought that was very interesting. So I think they did a few things in it that maybe classic Whovians haven't seen done before that made it pretty interesting. I don't know if Skaldak's name has come up before, but we've certainly seen uh, ice warriors before been Patrick Troughton's time. I, I remember reading somewhere uh, that uh, this was a conversation that Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat had that um, Mark Gaddis really wanted to bring back uh, the Ice Warriors and Moffat was against it because he remembered them from the old days as being yet another giant lumbering villain inside a suit. You know, I think, why don't they just run because this guy can't <laughs> keep up with you, you know? And he said, no, think what we've done with, with Daleks, think what we've done with Cybermen. I think we can take these things from the 60s and I've got some ideas about how to make this really scary. And yeah, part of it was, yeah, if the if the armor makes him move slowly, let's let him out of the armor. See what happens with that. <laughs> you know? Do you think he succeeded? I think so, yeah. And um, the uh, I don't know if when we finally get a close-up of Skaldek's face, if that is CG or if it is a, a puppet. But I, I really, I really like it. it. It's just a great look. It's very, it's a very expressive face, actually. He, he looks uh, prickly and vulnerable at the same time. Yeah, agree. So, Clarence, what do you think? Do you think the idea of making them scary did it work? I think it. Yeah, I think it worked. I think it worked. I mean, just some of the shock moments you get of Claire in this room talking to to Skaldak and. Lo and behold, he's not in the armor. I think that alone was <laughs> a good enough surprise to make it worthwhile. And of course, they did some of the conventional things you do when you have scary, slithery enemy running around in a place. They don't really show them until the end. But that being said, when we do finally get that reveal, I think it was well worth it. I agree. One of the scenes that I take away from this that, that just kind of stuck with me was wondering how or what the creature looks like because yes we see the hands and yes we you know kind of hear in the background the slithering about when he's in the armor he looks like he fills up the entire armor but then we know that he gets out and we saw his hands and what they look like so that what i was mostly interested as in as i realized he was no longer in there is what and how does he look outside? And I yeah. know probably budgetary constraints didn't allow us to see that, but but still it put in my mind looking and thinking about them the way 
that I never had before because I don't think at the time I had seen an episode or if I had, it had been erased from my memory. I hadn't, you know, watched it in so long uh, that I'd ever seen them before so, other than in pictures. So I thought it did a good job. Yeah, and it was it was good for, to leave some of that up to our imagination to fill in, you know. Now, would I like to at some point see the full out of armor Ice Warrior? Yeah, maybe sometime in the future. But for this episode and the tone they were setting, I think it was it was good to leave some of that up to your imagination to figure out. That's that's a complaint that people have made about the uh, they're not Slavian the 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 things from Rexacorico Falopatorius <laughs> that we saw them head to toe and people were disappointed with the so yeah I think that one of the things the show has learned is that it really it's probably better to keep some of these things off screen to a degree or to show it in glimpses and bits and pieces and so on I, I think it really works yeah. here yep and on top of that you know yes they do have the big armor and yes. They do look like they're lumbering and about, but with the CGI's that we have now, and just with the mechanics that we have now, that they could move quickly, and I think they did move a lot quicker when we see them again in series 10, I believe, with the Empress of Mars, coincidentally, also written by Gatiss. Spoilers! (laughs) Spoilers! Don't know exactly what happens, don't remember it, but, you know... Just saying, it's coming. coming. (laughs) Right. This would be considered, tell me if this is a true or false statement, base under siege? Yes, true or false? Definitely a base under siege story. Agreed. Clarence, what did you think of this? Did did you like this? And what were some of the dynamics? If you did like it, what did you like about it? Well, I I think my thing with the base under siege stories is always the excuse to stay there. When you have such a powerful tool at your disposal in the TARDIS, they always have to make some excuse of why either it's not working or it vanished. And in this case, I don't know if I buy it. <laughs> so, so at the end of the episode, we get that the, the doctor has enabled or has been testing the TARDIS's flight of flight system or whatever in <laughs> and at the the hostile action displacement oh system. my god and, and the first sign of danger it leaves which would not make much sense because the doctor is constantly in danger and what was he thinking i don't know uh so so i didn't buy that but that being said once we got in in the story i i i enjoyed the story being on this submarine and that it it felt very stylized and you know think of your, all your famous submarine movies or whatever i enjoyed all of that but maybe the reason for being there um and again they were on their way to vegas how did they i don't know but, but i enjoyed the it being in that one place i thought it really lent to be a fun story but you know some of the reasoning maybe not so much neil gaiman was so awesome when he wrote the words and had the TARDIS speak in a previous episode that we have reviewed called The Doctor's Wife. I don't take you where you want to go. I take you where you need to go. <sighs> yeah. 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 I guess that's a thing. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with Clarence. We always have to think of an excuse to get to get the TARDIS out of their reach. But I'll give it to them this time is that Fans of the classic series know that the the hostile action displacement system is a 
is an established thing in the canon of the show. It's uh, it's something that the doctor has used before, and it's something that he has to do manually. So this time he said it and forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so that's what happens. But See, that um, feels better to me. That feels better to me knowing that. Because yes. for me, it just felt like a throwaway thing he just said at the end of it, you know. So so thank you for that historical tidbit there. <laughs> yeah, but but most people watching this are not going to know that. But anyway, but, but yeah, the um, the first time we saw it was in the, the Crotons and the way it was used was that the doctor, ha- uh, they're outside the TARDIS and he wants to keep it safe. So it moves into like the next room. Mm. Or, or, you know, just a short distance away. So he knows where it is. But whoever's threatening his people or the TARDIS, they don't. So that's cute. That's just like a chess move, you know. It's not supposed to send it to the South Pole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can I get Mm. a ride? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe Moffat was saying that eventually it will go to the South Pole again. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. The the TARDIS has been to the, at the polls so many times that, yeah, maybe it just now thinks that's part of what it's supposed to do. And just because it's corny, I'm going to say maybe that's part of reversing the polarity. But could, anyway. Could, 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 Ooh, I like could, it. Could you uh, help, help out us layman's here with the South Pole reference? Uh, I don't get it. Oh, well, they're, they're at the North Pole. They're under the ice at the North Pole. So when the doctor... Uh, when the screwdriver tells him where the TARDIS is, he says, it's at the pole. Like, and <laughs> Clara says, oh, good. He says, the South yeah, Pole. Yeah, I, I got that one, but I thought Cal may have made a reference to something else that I I don't know about. Oh, the, the, the doctor has been to the South Pole in the end of the first doctor's era, and that is where the first doctor regenerates. Oh, yeah. that's the South Pole. Okay, didn't, yeah. I did not know there where there was. <laughs> and then they'll go there again in uh, Seeds of Doom. That's where they find the titular Seeds of Doom. So it's almost like they went there twice upon a time. Mm. Yes. Could happen again. Who knows? Well, uh, a couple of people have pointed out some things about being in a Soviet submarine. And I, uh, this is since this is something that has happened in my adult life, I, I, I remember this time when we all thought that we were on the verge of... Uh, a mutual assured destruction no but um it's possible now uh so many of them have been decommissioned that that uh, you you probably can get a tour of a of a suburb but you couldn't in the 80s uh, i i still don't even understand the circumstances but my sister managed to uh to uh, visit uh, the Soviet Union during those days. And uh, one of her principal memories of that is that she took a picture of a bridge and somebody who she thought was just a member of the crowd stepped toward her, her KGB badge, and took her camera. Oh, wow. Because you're not supposed to take pictures of that bridge. So Wow. <laughs> so that's that's sort of where we were in the 80s. Haha. But, um, but yeah, 80 uh, Soviet subs had to surface or almost surface to launch missiles like that. So they're not going to do it from 700 meters down. That wouldn't, it just doesn't work like that. Uh, so some people have pointed out that seems like a, a, a real flaw in the story, uh, but maybe not as egregious as the fact that none of these submariners are going to fire a gun inside the submarine yeah. any more than they do that in an airplane or a Zeppelin. Yeah, why was the professor packing? I don't... <laughs> Yeah, it's like, <laughs> where did you get that, and what do you think you're going to do with it? Now, the the cattle prod, however, does make sense, as he says. He says it's for polar bears. Um, 
But all of their guns and weapons like that, that makes sense once they're outside of the ship. But don't shoot the alien while you're inside the submarine. Well, well, let me ask you again with the professor, which I couldn't quite tell if he was brilliant or just oblivious. But Mammoth? Really? Yes, that is what I was going to ask. Really? Yeah, I don't understand that either. He he understands that mammoths are, well, mammoth. <laughs> they they don't they're not they're not bipeds. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't sure if he was um just joking with 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 uh the captain there or was he being serious? I, I don't know. Yeah, he does have a, a a puckish sense of humor which for which David Warner is perfect casting. They I don't know if you know part of the backstory about this is that he was approached uh, about being the doctor. And um, mm. and and literally couldn't do it because um, he is one of the workingest actors in the business. I mean, he's he's been in everything, <laughs> but has always wanted to be back on the show or to be on the show. So this really is a plum role that was written especially for him. Yeah, Grisenko is he's 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 a, an odd an odd duck. Yeah, does he really think that he'd found a mammoth? Who knows. <laughs> Yeah, and I I love Mm. the way in this episode he was able to befriend Clara, excuse me, and, you know, just by kind of being sort of a goof off the wall goofball in in some ways, you know, bringing up Duran Duran, I'm like, oh my God, do not break into a song. I won't be able to take it. (laughs) (laughs) And he's trying to coax her into singing Hungry Like a Wolf. Yeah, yeah. We got a Spotify play from me off of that, and I very much enjoyed the song, by the way. Well, I thought I would throw out a, uh, a trivia question. For, for our listeners, or maybe just for y'all, but um, Sting, he, he, he takes his famous recording stage name from, uh, from The Hobbit, from The Lord of the Rings. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, Bilbo's sword is, uh, is Sting. Hmm. The rock group Duran Duran, the pop group Duran Duran, they take their name from a science fiction franchise also. Do you know what it is? Duran Duran. The only time I've heard that is in reference to this group. <laughs> and, and even yeah. though I haven't really heard much of their music, I knew who it was when he said it. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Kyle? Should we uh, leave that for people to write in? or? Yeah. Uh, Listeners, hmm. can you? Yes, because I'm clueless. <laughs> don't Google it. Be true to the contest here. Come on. Tell us. So I'll, I'll go this far toward a hint. Tell us who was Duran oh, Duran. Who? Oh. It's a who. Mm. Mm. Who knows? In the words of Cal Jones, who knows? <laughs> I'm now you have me intrigued. Mm. Well, you know that's not hard to do, but still, you have me intrigued. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't get you to watch uh, "You Only Live Twice." So who knows? Who knows? <laughs> He's not intrigued. Uh, who knows? Speaking of friends and watching, etc., and so forth. Question: This scene that I referred to earlier with Clara and the Ice Warrior. I thought this was a good moment for Clara because it just showed that she had a backbone. Oh, yeah. And she just went in, did what she needed to do. And she's the one that says, look, hey, you can't go in. You're not letting him go in. He's not letting you go in. I'm the only one here. And Clara, I mean, Clara, Clarence, since Clara is one of your favorites, what did you think of Clara in this episode? Uh, she was great. She displayed a lot of, she had a lot of guts by offering to go in there and do that. And you can tell already she's fully bought into we're here to save the world 
You know, <laughs> she she is she is bought into that hook, line and sinker. And you can tell she loves it. She loves it. Um, definitely a lot of guts to go in that room. And again, I mentioned it before, but to see the, the that the Grand Marshal was not in his his uh, armor was was another good moment for her to, you know, why did she walk up and <laughs> touch that thing? I would, you know, so, yeah, I thought she was great in this episode. Like, again, in her, in her moments with the professor, I just think all around she was she was really good in this episode. I agree all around. This is just another shining moment for her. And yeah, McLaren I, I, said it well. She, she's she's on board with this. This is she actually gets to say in this episode. That's what we do. They, when the silos close and the nuclear trigger disarms, she says, "Save the world." Then, yeah. <laughs> Doctor yeah. says, "Yeah." And she says, "That's what so we do." Beautiful. Great moment. <laughs> also, in that conversation. The awkwardness. I love the the. It was a small moment of awkwardness when she first get in there, and the doctor's like, "Do the salute," and she's like, "Put the flashlight down to try to do the salute." Uh, yeah. I love that. And the moment of awkwardness of the uh, the men in the submarine when the captain says, "Yes, it's a woman," yeah. <laughs> like that, and then search them. So one of those guys has got to search her. Yeah, uh, and this is a unique story in in that it was back in the classic era since before this happened again it was a classic episode i think either in the third or fourth doctor i believe it may have been doctor and romana the curse of crawl i think is what it was but this is the first time since then that or the power of crawl not the cur- the curse that it's only been one female actor and the rest male actors in the story hmm. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So let me ask you guys about the ending before we go into our favorite scene and favorite quote. What did you guys think of his change of heart at the end? And Lee, I'll start with you. What did you, what did you think? Well, it's very convenient in some ways, but it's what we're hoping will happen, right? I guess there are people in the audience saying, no, Kill him. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to kill him is the pro- is the solution here. And they and, and they are saved in the nick of time. It is almost a Deus Ex Machina, right? That the Martians show up at the yeah. nick of time. But still, it's um since we we're on on board, so to speak, as analog uh, the doctor is an analog of us as the audience and we and we get to know what he knows. He knows the Ice Warriors, and he knows the future of Mars. He knows that Skaldek is about to do something ca- literally catastrophic because he's mistaken. Mm. And so we get, to, we get to correct the mistake instead of having a global catastrophe. And, and I really like that. Would the Doctor not know that the Ice Warriors still survive? Or is that something we don't find until... He promises him that they're still okay. out there. Okay. Skaldek says, no, all my people are dead. He says, no, they're not. They're, and one day Mars will, you know, be restored to its glory. I've seen it. He doesn't say I've seen it, but, you know, I, I imagine he has. Yeah. So <laughs> besides the, the episode we're going to get in the future, uh, were those past adventures with the Ice Warriors, what time period did those take place? Were they in 5,000 years ago or were they like present day? Well, okay, I, I'm thinking they're going to be semi-present day, and the only reason I say that is the way this was set up is very reminiscent to the Troughton episodes, or episode or however many times. One of them it was with he, Jamie, and Victoria, where there's someone that's 
impatient and and thaws the ice warrior out so that mirrored that so assuming if they're being thawed out that some time has passed for them to be frozen got you got you and even then if it was present day and classic it was still before or here in about 1983 or probably before then (laughs) bingo bingo on that ending for me though i loved that the doctor attempted to reason before he went into I'm threatening you now mode. <laughs> I thought I thought the way Matt Smith lipped at that moment where he knew he couldn't reason anymore was so good the way he 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 acted that out. And I loved I loved um uh, the marshals uh call back to to the mutually assured destruction. I thought that was a good callback cuz that's what the doctor was offering at that moment. He's like, "Okay, that's right. Okay. We can't yep. let you fire these, so I guess we all won't die, you know? <laughs> yeah. It won't be one of us. It'll be both of us. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought that was pretty great. It, and also in that scene, before I get back to you, Cal, the, the mention of five billion humans, you know, I love that. Of course, they're going to make that number right. That's 1983. Now it's 7.9 billion. But, you know, it was kind of cool. Me looking at having to look up that number just to see what it was around that time. So. All right, Lee, what is your favorite scene? Favorite scene? I loved the scene that Clarence was just referencing with the doctor playing chicken, basically, with Skaldak or uh, Mutually Assured Destruction. Or should we call the game they're playing Russian Roulette? Ooh, Ooh look at one. you. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very well-written scene, and I love the way, uh, you know, once again, it's Nick Briggs carrying a scene with the lead actors of the show. I, I always think he does not get enough credit for all the many times where he is the peace villain in these shows over and over and over again. It's Nicholas Briggs. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So my favorite scene is going to be the one I've already mentioned, which was Clara and the reveal that there was nothing inside the armor. That mm. was cool, and she played that well. So that's my favorite scene. Favorite scene, Clarence Brown? What's yours? Yeah, mine is the same scene you just mentioned, but the beginning of the scene with the salute, the awkwardness there was was really cute. Not, you know, that <laughs> that's the reason I had to call that one out. Ah, sweet. All right, so I'm going to point this one now to you. Favorite quote, Clarence? What's your favorite quote? <sighs> oh yeah, the the time when uh, Captain uh, Zerkov and the Doctor is talking. And the conversation goes like, a soldier knows another soldier. He'd smell it on you. He'd smell it on you a mile off, says the doctor. He wouldn't smell it on you, doctor, says the captain. Um, There's only one choice. I don't smell of anything, at least not to my knowledge, Clara. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Lee Shackelford, what say ye? It's a a speech of Clara's, not just one line, but... um... I feel like it's the turning point of the story, really, because this is where Skaldek starts to rethink his monomania. She asks him, why did you hesitate back there in the dark? You were going to kill this man, remember? I begged you not to, and you listened. Why show compassion then, Skaldek, and not now? The doctor's right. Billions will die. Mothers, sons, fathers, daughters. Remember that last battle, Skaldek, your daughter? You sang the songs. And then he says something about the the red something. Mm-hmm. He remembers. Yes. It's really good. She's got him. It is. And you know why it's really good? Because you have such excellent taste. That is my favorite quote. Woo-hoo. 
Yeah. Yes, seriously. That is absolutely. I was re- sitting here reading it as you spoke it. So, yes, good, good, good and choice. Hats off to the writing because those, those small little callbacks uh, made the ending so solid. <laughs> yeah, they they yeah. Set, set it up beautifully. And, you know, when she mentions it again, you're like, oh, man. All right. So final rating. I will start with this final rating. I'm going to give it a three. I don't really know why I'm giving it a three other than it just didn't blow me away, but it wasn't bad. It was enjoyable. It was middle of the road, honestly, for me. Three empty Ice Warrior armors out of five. So three for me. Lee, what say you? I'll go higher and give it four totally illegal Walkmen. A Walkman like that would have been verbot, not verbot. I don't know how to say it in Russian, but yeah, you, you, people in the Soviet Union are not supposed to have toys like a Walkman. I don't think he's got one though. Anyway, four. All right, four illegal Walkmans out of five. Clarence Brown. I'm gonna go just a, a smidget higher. I'll go four point one because I, I just thought this the cinematography was so good and some of the visuals. Um, I thought, I mean, again, I say with these Matt Smith episodes, but it looked like they could have made this yesterday. I just thought it was so beautiful via HBO Max. So, yeah, 4.1 uh, Barbies out of five. Why does a doctor have a yeah. Barbie? Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Who knows? <laughs> Gentlemen, where else might you be found on the Internet? And Clarence, I'll start with you. I will say check out DiscussingTrek.com for, you know, Trek Talk from the Discussing Nerd pundits. So check it out. Discuss, DiscussingTrek.com Awesome. Lee Shackelford, what about you? I'm going to keep pointing people to my website, ShackelfordFreelance.com Just Google Lee Shackelford and you'll get there. But, uh, you know, it's sort of how you get in touch with me and keep up with me and stuff. And I will add, if you will also like to check out something else that Lee Shackelford has worked on along with Clarence Brown, you can check out, of course, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know where I'm going, which is Mm. relativitypodcast.com. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed. We're glad that you're here. You've listened to us to the end. You are appreciated. And as always, we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.